I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. This is likely to be the last summer with Britain inside the EU. A new report published this week claims that Brexit will raise the cost of holidays on the continent, put thousands of holiday-related jobs at risk, and cost the exchequer as much as a billion pounds in lost tax revenue. I'm Progress Deputy Editor Connor Pope, and I'll be discussing all that with my colleagues Richard Angel and Hannah Shah, and our guest today, one of the authors from that report, Charles Owen from SBIT, the Seasonal Businesses in Travel Organisation who are one of Progress's event partners at Labour Conference this year. Charles, the great foreign British summer holiday, is it in danger? Unfortunately, I think it is. I, along with a number of colleagues, have been very concerned about this ever since the EU referendum. And over the last couple of years, we've been collecting data and putting together some information. And we've just commissioned a survey which suggests that through the 134 British companies that took part, that prices could rise up to 31% if the government plans for Brexit or a no-deal Brexit go ahead. Mm. And I must admit, I was actually quite surprised myself when we started adding up the numbers of the people, and particularly young people, that are actually working in the outbound tourism industry. There are 25,000 UK jobs in this sector, and they're at risk if there is a no-deal or poorly negotiated Brexit. And a lot of these people, it's their first jobs and their first real experience of working life. And they go out and they work across Europe, both in the summer resorts and in the winter resorts, and come back with some wonderful cultural experiences. And yes, unfortunately, I do think all of that is at risk. So you've done this with the Seasonal Businesses in Travel organisation. Can you tell us a bit about that and what this new report, which is called The Crisis Looming, what it's about, essentially? Seasonal Businesses in Tourism is a group of over 200 independent British travel companies, all operating in the outbound travel industry. So what does that mean? When you go on holidays abroad, and particularly to Europe, these are the British companies that you travel with, that you fly with, that possibly you go into their bars, maybe transport you around. It's any British company that helps to support a British holiday, whether that be uh, summer on the beach or winter in the ski resorts. 
And we formed ourselves as an organization about 12 months ago because a number of us in the industry were deeply concerned about the potential effects of Brexit. And so we decided to raise awareness of the importance of the industry and to start lobbying the government, both the UK government and European governments, is that what we needed to allow the industry to continue to being able to employ the 25,000 British, mainly young people that we do, and to help protect the 16.5 billion of UK GDP that the industry actually contributes. So uh, last week, Michel Barnier, the chief EU negotiator for Brexit, had a piece in 20 newspapers across Europe. Essentially, he was arguing that the EU doesn't want there to be a no deal. The same week, Jeremy Hunt, the foreign secretary, was telling his counterparts that he did expect there to be a no deal. And over the weekend, we saw Liam Fox, the International Trade Secretary, saying exactly the same thing. This report says that if there is a no deal Brexit, then holiday prices could go up by as much as 31%. So when you say these prices will go up, and it seems it's very possible that they will, given the Tories are talking up the possibility of a no deal Brexit. But what does, what does that mean in, in reality? Does that mean no more budget flights? Does it mean exchange rates going up? What does that price mean? Well, there are a number of reasons why there would be price rises. And also, I think it's, and I'll come on to this in a bit, it's interesting to explain what we actually mean by a no deal, because there are various scenarios. Mm, yeah. If there is actually a complete no deal and breakdown in relations between the UK and the EU, then actually it probably comes um, a lot more impactful than just the 31% increase in holiday rises, because I think, as you know very well, we are part of the EU Open Skies treaties. We're also part of the European Union Aviation Safety Organization. And if we are not allowed to continue as part of those two organizations, then as it has been reported quite widely, planes will not fly out of the UK to Europe. And so that might put a little bit of pressure <laughs> on, the, on the ferries and yeah. the Eurostar. <laughs> but assuming that even we do get some basic agreements that do actually allow flights to to carry on traveling over to mainland Europe. We've still got a significant issue and it's regarding the seconding or posting of British workers to work in Europe. At the moment, as we are part of the single market, any British company is allowed to employ somebody in the UK, train them up in the UK, and then send them to work in a European country for up to 10 months. And the outbound tourism industry has made a lot of use of this. So there are about 25,000 jobs that are supported through this. And you'll probably be aware of this. Whenever you go on holiday, the chances are you'll book with a British company. You'll probably fly over with a British airline. And then when you land in the resort, you'll be met by a British rep at the airport that will then show you around the resort, show you where you can find the football match on on a Wednesday night, mm -hmm. show you where you can find your favorite beer, basically take care of you. And if anything goes wrong, if there's any accidents, you fall over coming back from the beach, they'll make sure that you can make full use of your European health insurance card to get free healthcare over in Europe. And then if needs be, get you back to the UK. And so with all of those workers, at the moment, because they're on British contracts, they pay British PAYE to the um, UK Exchequer, and they pay British National Insurance that helps to fund things like the NHS. If we 
leave the EU, we leave the single market, and we don't have access to something called the Posted Workers Directive that allows this economy to go on, then there's two possible things that will happen. Either those British people will need to be applied on European contracts, in which case the tax and the national insurance goes to Europe, not the UK. But then secondly, if there is a no deal and there is a fracture in relations between the UK and mainland Europe, then there is no guarantee that these companies in the tourism industry will be allowed to get the visas for these people to work in a timely manner. And as you can imagine, most of the jobs and the recruitment gets done only a couple of months before the summer and the winter season starts. So if there's a complex visa process, it's going to be very difficult for those people to work out in Europe. And so not only it seems to me is there going to be a potential and real hit to the exchequer in terms of what it can raise in terms of tax income that we pay on our public services, this seems to be an industry of which margins are pretty tight. So time is money. So anytime you're spending applying for visas and trying to get people through onto a more amenable working practice is going to have real impacts on your bottom line, but also your ability to knowingly be able to provide a service at the other end. So there's a number of places in which there are consequences for Britain and massive costs for our young people who normally love doing a year abroad or their summer abroad work in ski resort on the Costa del Sol or or, or wherever, this could have huge implications. Completely agree. And also most holidays get sold in advance of the recruitment for these jobs. So we're now in a situation, particularly for the winter holiday industry, with at the moment Brexit being at the end of March, The whole of April is still part of the winter ski season. So at the moment, with no agreement on the withdrawal agreement, there is no certainty what will be the position of British staff working in Europe on the 1st of April next year. So you and your colleagues are potentially knowingly offering people contracts that you're not sure the conditions of which they'd be legally employed for the last month of their contract? Well, uh, my company isn't. My company, European Pubs, uh, which operates bars and restaurants out in the French Alps, we haven't started recruiting for the next winter season, but I will certainly be having a clause in there. And, and, and as, we, as you will see from the report, there are many conditions going into many contracts around 29th of March because nobody has any certainty what is going to happen after that day to the moment. And this it kind of seems to play into this this idea that uh, when we talk about the kind of hit that the economy will take after Brexit and people often on the left do like to make the argument that because austerity is a political choice that you could just, you know, it doesn't really matter. But actually when you're losing potentially a billion pounds from the exchequer in tra- tax revenue, that actually does really affect the way that you can deliver public services, doesn't it? I completely agree. I must admit, I was quite surprised myself when we looked at the numbers from ABTA and CBR and we calculated that the outbound... Sorry, tell us who those acronyms oh, are because I, I, I don't know what they are, let alone all of our <laughs> listeners. Um, ABTA is the Association of British Travel Agents um, and the CBR is the... Ooh, you're going to get me now. Um, it's something like the Society for Economic Budget Responsibility, which is um, an independent research unit which pulled the numbers together for this. And um, and they calculated that the outbound um, tourism industry um, to um, regarding European holidays contributes one billion to the UK exchequer. That's over ten percent of our current EU membership fees, and that this is just our industry contributes over ten percent of our 
EU membership fees back into the Exchequer. Put that on the side of a bus, Boris. <laughs> <laughs> there were many things I wish could have been on the side of a bus. Hannah, I just want to bring you in before we take a quick break, because you were really struck by the effect that this would have on the number of 18 to 24 year olds, young people and their jobs in this market. Yeah, I think we've touched on it already. I think um, it's like over 60% of people employed in the outbound tourism industry are between the ages of 18 and 24. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I think it's got a lot to do with the part of the culture we have in the UK, which is many people decide to take mm -hmm. a, a gap year out at, at various points after mm -hmm. education or before entering maybe full-time work in the UK. Mm. They sometimes do some travel, but a lot of times they will go down and work in holiday resorts in Europe, down, down on the boats on the south of France, possibly in ski resorts, mm. uh, possibly over to America. But what's interesting is when you talk to the other business leaders like mm. myself in the industry, and you find out how many of them actually started their careers by doing seasonal jobs out either down in the south of France or in the French Alps. The directors of Ski World, a very large independent company that's quite involved with Espit, both started out doing seasons. So they find a love for the industry and they develop. And um, now that company is, is, is an incredibly successful operator in the industry. Yeah, and I think even more than that, it's about the opportunity, isn't it? I was looking at the regional spread of the people who are employed by the industry in your excellent report. And it seemed to me that while we often say that financial and economic activity in this country is focused around London and the Southeast, you look at the people employed, it's from people in the Northeast and the Northwest who are generally employed by companies in this area. And I think that for those young people, the opportunity to go away and do paid work and see some of the world and learn another language and experience another culture is something they might not have otherwise. And actually what this is enabling is a narrowing of the opportunity of young people in this country from backgrounds who can't just, you know, head off on a gap yard, traveling to Thailand mm. or whatever to see another culture, learn something new and see some of the world. Completely agree. And I can talk about that from personal experience. I mean, as you can see in the report itself, it shows the amount of jobs from young people that come from the regions. In European pubs, we normally do our recruitment in September. We'll, we'll base it in London, but we will have interviewees coming from all around the country because they would really like the opportunity to go and work over in France for a winter season. And it's fantastic. People from all different walks of life come over, have fantastic experiences. I keep in touch with a number of them. They go off to do uh, have phenomenal careers, but a lot of them still talk about the cultural experience that they had by working in Europe. You're really making making me regret that on my gap year run, I worked in a, a pub 200 yards from where I live. Um, <laughs> it's never too late to do a season. <laughs> um, we do need to take a short break there, but we'll be back in just a sec. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. My name is Mary Wimbry. I'm standing for Labour's National Executive Committee. Along with my fellow centre-left candidates for the NEC, I'm campaigning for Labour Party members to have a say on Brexit at Labour Party conference. Last year, a stitch-up kept Brexit off the conference agenda. At Scottish Labour conference, the same happened. This year, Labour members must debate the biggest issue facing the country. Sign up to our campaign now at laboursay.eu. Thank you. This section of the economy didn't really take off until the late 80s and early 1990s. Obviously, that was around the time that the single market was founded. How related do you think this part of the economy and the single market in its current form is? Very related. Um, There was a couple of reasons why this sector of the economy took off. It was um, at the single market, which which I'll come on to in a second. Mm. But it was also around about that time that there was the EU Air Skies Agreement and the massive explosion in budget travel and budget travel airlines, Mm. which really, really assisted this. But the key thing that allowed a lot of small companies to actually set up in the first place was the freedom of movement of labour the ability to employ British people in the UK and then second them over to work for um, for a winter or a summer season. And importantly, still they would pay their taxes to the UK Exchequer and then national insurance to the UK Exchequer as well that would help to fund things like the NHS. One of the key things there is that the national insurance rates are very different in the UK um, as opposed to uh, mainland Europe. And UK national insurance is a lot cheaper. So if we were in a situation where we were not able to to carry on with British contracts and paying British national insurance on our workers, we would find that the costs would go up quite considerably if we needed to pay into French, Spanish, mm. Italian social security schemes. And so this is related to the Posted Workers Directive, is it? That's that, correct. That, that, is, that is something that obviously Jeremy Corbyn brought up a lot during the 2016 referendum campaign, but seems to have fallen off the Brexit agenda a bit since then. Yeah, but- that's right. What the Posted Workers Directive allows is for companies to post workers to other European countries. Now, some of the, the key rules that go along with that, and there's recently been an update to the Posted Workers Directive, is that you need to pay at least the minimum wage in the country that you are posting the workers to. So there is no opportunity to undercut local workers, and that's important. 
And it's important that the industry abides with that because it's the law. We also need to cover the accommodation costs of the workers that we're posting out and, and food and other, other expenditure as well. So the worry for me here is it seems that our young people are being asked to pay the price of the uncertainties. You talked earlier about, you know, various people have clauses in their contracts over some of these issues. And so the experience potentially for young people going to work through this sector might be seriously diminished this year and potentially in the years to come. And not only were you right to point out some of the kind of parts of the post of workers directive that various people get uh, right or wrong uh, about the system, but it does bring to the centre of the debate freedom of movement. And you know, in this country, freedom of movement is only viewed as an opportunity for others to come into Britain to undercut our wages and do terrible things to their friends and neighbours as they move in. And we obviously know that that isn't the experience. People come to do jobs that people here otherwise don't want to do. Our NHS will be crippled without people across the EU coming and doing the tasks that they do in such a relentless way for our National Health Service. But actually, it has massive benefits for UK citizens using that right to go elsewhere and you know, this report is just brilliant at focusing in on those who are doing that work for uh, seasonal work, whether it's winter or summer, and getting those amazing experiences, some of which, as you talked about, go on to be their entrepreneurial spirit. They've learned an insight from that sector and work out a company that they can make work for themselves. And many of which, as you talked about, can scale it up and make that a big revenue raiser for UK PLC and the Treasury in particular. We're going to have to have that argument because one of the things I think you said earlier that was fascinating is, is, is that you drew, drew a kind of analogy or, or, or um, a, a symmetry between no deal and a poorly negotiated deal, which is what we seem to be stuck in the choice of at the moment. And this is where Labour should be right now um, and where Theresa May should have been if she was seeking to unite the country is arguing for a single market deal because that would have been something that could have bridged all of the country together out of the political union, involved in the economic union. That's the only way of having a jobs first Brexit. And it seems that these young people, many of which have turned out for our party at the last couple of elections in big numbers could be paying the price of not only the uncertainty in all of this but uh, the real impacts of Brexit. Yeah and even more than that I think it feeds into this poisonous narrative that we see around the freedom of movement so I remember seeing a commentator say about freedom of movement that it was only middle class kids who wanted to go into railing who would be affected by the fact that people couldn't work or uh, holiday in the European Union and Actually, that's a very narrow-minded, short-term view that I think we just need to really remove from here because actually it was sort of ironic. I think it actually came from quite a middle-class London-based commentator as well who just didn't see the opportunities that were available to people in this country. And also, I think on the podcast last week, we spoke extensively about the rise of the far right and the narratives around things like freedom of movement and immigration and workers coming to this country and workers moving over to other parts of the European Union are all elements in this broader political narrative of the far right that's being fueled. And if we can't start to sort of remove these myths, which you know, we've talked about the post workers directive, it's clearly elements of that that are being pushed out for the gain of the Brexiteer cause that are untrue. And if we don't challenge those policy points, then actually that is, has a horrible impact on how we view our political culture more generally. And I think on the of the rise of the far right in particular in this country. 
I couldn't agree more. And I can talk from personal experience on this one. My company, European Pubs Limited, we own and operate bars and restaurants. Jack's Bar in Maribel is is the the main one. We had Evolution Restaurants as well and Capilio. Other bars are available. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, they're not. Um, and, 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 and this is what I was coming on to. Uh, about two months ago, I had to take the incredibly painful decision to close Jack's Bar in Evolution because under the models of Brexit, which were being pushed forward, my business model is no longer viable. And I had to have a painful um, and deeply upsetting meeting of sitting around with people that had worked on and off me for up to 10 years. Many of them, uh, the vast majority of them don't have degrees and don't mm-hmm. uh, aren't from the gap year culture at mm-hmm. all, um, but love doing what they're doing are professionals in the industry mm-hmm. and had to tell them that there was a grave um, danger that there would not be jobs for them going forward. It was utterly heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Can I ask, obviously, we're now almost six months to go until Brexit happens. It's quite unclear what that Brexit is going to look like. Obviously, the government keep talking up the idea of a certain type of no-deal Brexit, which is getting a lot of political traction and is deeply worrying. But short of stopping Brexit completely, what do you want the government to do or what could be done to help out? And what could Labour be doing to push the government in the right direction or as a policy to take, hopefully, into government when a general election comes? Okay, well, regarding our industry, and as I say, setting aside just stopping Brexit (laughs) full stop, um, which would also be an option to actually (laughs) uh, resolve a number of these issues, we think it's really key that um, the government and the Labour Party stand up for the ability to post workers in the tourism industry around work to protect the 25,000 jobs, the 16 billion of UK GDP, and the 1 billion contribution into the UK inland revenue. So we think that's critically important. Retaining being part of the single market would go some way towards that, but we would also need continued access to the posted workers directive. And in the Chequers proposal, I don't like calling it a deal because I'm not sure who the deal was actually between or if there wasn't a deal. (laughs) It was with Boris Johnson for two days, I think. (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't any mention of what they would be doing there around the secondment of staff and the Mm -hmm. posters of workers. So we need both the, uh, the Conservative and the Labour Party to make that a priority to protect industries which are larger uh, it's larger than the fishing industry it's larger than the farming industry in terms of the people that are employed in there and most importantly for the Labour Party as well, these are young people. These are young people that we train up, that we give a cultural experience to, and it is critical for their futures that we argue for the the continued right for the outbound tourism industry to move and employ people around Europe. Rich, do you think that Labour's current policy of having some access to the single market falls a bit short of what is needed here? I think it does, and it also... The, the problem with Labour's policy is not just that it falls short of what businesses like Charles's and others and, and the people in the seasonal business and travel network would need for people, but it means that Labour has failed to demonstrate what a well-negotiated Brexit could have looked like. And this is causing us now problems as we go down the track, as we get, we're forced down a situation where you've either got to vote for a very poorly negotiated deal by Theresa May 
all for a no Brexit scenario, both of which are very diminished status from being in the EU or single market stroke Norway style members of the EU. And I think the failure from Labour to outline what a least a least worse Brexit could have looked like is really the failing. And, and I fear that we will be punished for that actually in, in the years to come as people see that we've not really stepped up to the challenge in what has been the most fundamental debate for many people and many families in this country about the, the very nature of how they're employed and deployed through the economy. I think we need to leave that there. We've run out of time, but uh, Charles Owen, thank you so much for coming in and, and joining before, us. Before we move on, we're doing an event with the Seasonal Business in Travel Network at Labour Party Conference, So those who have enjoyed this podcast can come along in Liverpool, where we'll be doing that with a number of Charles's colleagues and, and obviously key people in the Labour Party to continue this debate. Thank you very much. Each week, we ask a political pub quiz question. This week's question has a European flavour. So Charles was telling us how um, new parts of the posted workers directive mean that you now have to pay each worker the national minimum wage of the country where they're from, which I thought was particularly interesting. Mm -hmm. So my question this week is, which European Union country has the highest minimum wage? Send your answers into office at progressonline.org.uk or tweet us at progressonline and you too could be in with the chance of winning a particularly European-friendly version of our Progress mug. <laughs> uh, don't forget you can leave a question or comment for us on iTunes and please do subscribe and rate this podcast too. We've been delighted to have Charles Owen on the show today and we'll be back with a review show and the answer to that question on Friday. been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was when in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks to the brilliant caroline crampton who produced this podcast It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.